chronicling the latest cannabis industry news and headlines. Welcome to the State of Cannabis, bringing you fact-based news and views and keeping listeners on the pulse of what's happening in the industry today. Advocates and analysts will join us to discuss the ongoing path to reform and legislation. Now, the State of Cannabis, with your host, Dave Inman. Welcome to another edition of the State of Cannabis. I'm your host, Dave Inman. Today is July 1st, and while most of you are preparing to celebrate this weekend, our friends on the left coast go to raise their pipes for the first time legally. Oregonians, we salute you, and we're jealous. Uh, Today on our show, we have uh, author, activist, smuggler, and more recently, the founder of the Silver Tour, a nonprofit that assists the elderly with cannabis use and understanding. Please welcome Robert Platshorn. Robert, welcome. Thank you for having me on. You know, uh, the thanks uh, are all ours, you know, to have you on the show. You've had a, a wild ride of a life, uh, to say the least. For those of you that may not know the, the name Robert Platshorn, you spent 30 years in prison for a nonviolent offense, uh, the longest nonviolent stint in American history. Tell us yeah. about that. <laughs> tell, tell you about 30 years in prison? The summarization, uh, of course, but <laughs> it would, it, the, uh, the, the, the start and getting in there, you know. I was really in the wrong place at the wrong time. The Black Tuna case, we were called by the government anyway, the Black Tuna Gang. I actually had never heard that name until I saw it in the newspapers when we were indicted. But in any case, it was the first joint effort of the FBI and DEA. The DEA had been working through customs. You know, the DEA was chartered as a non-arrest agency because in their previous life as the BND, they were shut down because of corruption. And it was felt that they couldn't arrest then perhaps they wouldn't be corrupt. So they always needed a partner. And for the most part, along the East Coast and even out on the West Coast, it was the Coast Guard. And uh, they really didn't use the same methods or the same ethics. And the Coast Guard wasn't really too happy with them. At the same time, the Carter administration was talking fairly openly about disbanding the DEA. The the FBI at the same time was no longer, it was the end of the Cold War, and they were no longer in the uh, find a communist under every rug business. Their task at the time, their official uh, tasking, was to stop industrial espionage. That really wasn't too sexy, and it looked like they were going to downsize the FBI. So the so FBI how, and how the, did you grab their attention? Because you had their attention like no other at the time. They were looking for a victim. They had started an operation called Operation Banco. And the purpose of the operation was to trace the flow of hundreds of millions of dollars every month from Miami to Columbia. The Federal Reserve Bank down here had more cash going through it than the one in New York City. And at that time, it was pretty much all pot money. Everybody in South Florida was in the pot business at one level or another. 
whether they were bringing in one bale in a boat from their uh, fishing trip or bringing in airplanes and, and ships. It was a monster business. Was it, really, case, was it really 500 tons? No. no. <laughs> so that real. was a bit of a stretch for, uh, for what actually happened, but they, they definitely wanted to pin as much on you as they possibly could. But between you and your partner, it was 108 years. Is that right? Yeah, just between the two of us, there was a third partner. You could toss on another 35 and four or five more defendants that averaged seven to 10. So we're talking about 200 years. But Operation Banco, when they finally discovered the main banking connection between Miami and Columbia, they also found out that it was a controlled by a Cuban group that worked for the CIA. <laughs> and they, they caught the biggest banker of them all and found that they couldn't really prosecute him. They let him take a guilty plea for a year suspended sentence. Now, this is the guy that, that they were looking for. But now they got no case. In the course of investigating banks, they came across our name a couple of times, but lots of other names, too. And uh, probably the first person I had bought a load from before we became smugglers had already turned government informant and given them our name. And so our name came up a second time in the bank investigations. And it came up a third time after we had retired and someone we had helped get into the business got caught and claimed he was working for us. So three strikes and you're out. We became the most likely case. None of us had ever been in trouble before, had a criminal record. So we were really uh, easy fish to spear. And they overblew the case to a degree that no one had ever seen. It was the first time they used the Kingpin statute. 848, continuing criminal enterprise, uh, to prosecute a marijuana prosecution. Prior to that, the use of the Kingpin statute and the RICO statute, we got a couple of those too, just thrown in for good measure. The most we really should have been facing was about a five-year sentence back in those days. And as first offenders, it was parolable. And with any luck, we'd have only gotten three and been out in one. Instead, uh, I got a 64-year sentence and was out in a quick 30. Or not such 60, a quick 64 years for a nonviolent offense. I mean, it boggles the mind. And, and you know, you're, you're one of the few people that I've, I've talked to that's, well, obviously the, one of the few people that I've ever talked to that's been in prison for 30 years. Let me ask you this one question. Um, would you do it again? Oh, hell no. <laughs> Probably a little bit more low-key this time around, huh? We were, I'll tell you how low-key we were. Until we were blasted in, in the media by the DEA and FBI, who were doing this for publicity to begin with, to justify an association that continues today. Had they not been successful, they probably... Uh, the DEA would be gone and the FBI would be doing something legitimate. And, and it is okay to smoke if you smoke too, just so you know, you know, 
What are you blind? Well, if you if you hear the lighter flicking, it's for a, a very good reason. <laughs> oh, I take it you can't see me. Oh, I can see you, but you one was, one wasn't. There you go. <laughs> He's not lying. He's not lying. No. I mean, it devastated my family. I lost both my parents while I was in prison, both my sisters. And now, just for what it did to the family, I certainly would never do that again. I thought the liability was at most two years on a five-year sentence and probably less. Just bad timing. I was the scapegoat they were looking for. I, I understand that, and, and pragmatically, I understand what they did. But it's behind me now, and I don't look back. I enjoy what I do every time I help to pass a decrim or get somebody to put a legalization bill on the ballot somewhere or bring it up to uh, the legislature. It makes me feel pretty good. You know, the first bill filed in Florida four years ago was the one I convinced the now Senator Clemens to put in. And I got to give them a lot of credit. They called him the stoner senator. And, and I mean, they ridiculed him and he stuck to his guns. And the second year, he actually had uh, a co-signer on the bill. And the third year he put it in, he had a half a dozen co-sponsors on the bill. And that was that led to the Kathy Jordan medical marijuana bill, which, like all the previous ones, the Republicans just refused to bring up in committee. The bills were there. They were sent up to committee, but not one was ever heard because the Republican-controlled legislature wasn't interested. And that led us to Amendment 2 to try and pass it without the legislature. Now, in case you don't know, we've actually got three bills that are sitting up in the legislature, and two of them are Republican. Big <laughs> change in the four years that I've been at it here in Florida and, of course, in other states, too. I've, I've been in half the states that have had things on the ballot uh, in the last few years, including Arizona. Excellent. Well, you know, next time you're in Arizona, we'll, we'll definitely have to get together and, you know, have a, have a cup of coffee. <laughs> okay. And you know how I feel about cannabis. I, I, I think that it should just be simply like coffee. I mean, it, it, I yearn for the time that it's, it's no longer special. And it just simply is. And, you know, the people that, that use it, they don't uh, wind up throwing so much away. You know, yourself obviously included, uh, you know, the, the young college kid that is on scholarship and uh, just happens to, you know, smoke a joint for the first time sometimes and uh, lose their scholarship. And, and, you know, they have a felony on their record. And then all of a sudden they no longer can, uh, you know, earn the, the type of, of money that they could have with a college degree and no felony. It's those devastations that really, I, I, I want to see this as just simply a normal thing. Yes. We have to take a quick break. When we get back, uh, Robert Plashorn. Thank you. We'll be right back. Stay tuned for more State of Cannabis, only on CannabisRadio.com when we return. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. 
Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. The smoke is rising, and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested. Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network, founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network. CannabisRadio.com educator, author, and advocate, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, is here to tackle the burning issues. And I'm here to clear up the myths about cannabis and burn them away with science. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Dr. Kevin Hill. You can't ignore the fact that, like alcohol, most people who use don't have a problem, so I think that you need to think about policy in that way while educating people properly about marijuana. I think that's the way to go. Burning Issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. Chronicling the latest cannabis industry news and headlines, welcome back to the State of Cannabis, only on CannabisRadio.com. Once again, here's Dave Inman. Welcome back to the State of Cannabis. I'm your host, Dave Inman. With us tonight, we have Robert Plashorn, uh, author, activist, and a uh, stalwart champion of the cannabis cause. Robert, welcome to the show. Earlier, we were uh, talking about, uh, you know, well, obviously, this this insane amount of time that you spent in jail for for simply having a plant and, and bringing it to uh, the U.S. And, you know, it's one of those things that's very difficult to, to imagine in a normal society that uh, we can be punished to this kind of degree for something so mundane. And, you know, the, the, punishment, the, aspect, doesn't end, the punishment doesn't end there. In this state and a lot of other states, if you've got a drug conviction, you can't get a license to cut hair, sell real estate, or even sell used cars. There's nothing much left for a lot of people who come out of prison other than flipping burgers or selling phony stocks over the telephone. <laughs> yeah, not everybody can be a wolf of Wall Street, right? <laughs> yeah. I was fortunate. When I came out, High Times commissioned me to write some articles. I wrote some stuff for the New York Times and the other magazines. As you know, it doesn't pay a lot of money, but it helped me teach myself how to use a computer and finish my memoir, Black Tuna Diaries. Plus, you know, I'm an old pitchman. I worked on the boardwalk with Ron Popeil. I used, <laughs> I made infomercials before Ron Popeil ever heard the word. And I was the one who encouraged him to do it in the first place. So I was, I was able to earn a living. And I was also fortunate. Uh, I had a wife and a place to live. Most people who get out of prison are not in that good a position. And, and so I regard myself as being very fortunate. And, and now you're, you're doing something, honestly, that I, I regard as magical. You're, you're the founder of the Silver Tour. 
and the the sober tour from what i understand uh you you encourage um you know or or educate elderly on on the use and uses of cannabis tell us about the silver tour i was doing a lot of work to try and help passage of prop 19 and i believed firmly that if legalization had passed of course we'd be much further down the road the fact that it didn't only strengthened our enemies so I was really disappointed that it didn't pass, and I took a look at the exit polls. I saw, and this was a by-election, so the only people who voted were seniors and Latinos. I saw that it was seniors and seniors alone that defeated Prop 19. The campaign against Prop 19 was financed by the beer lobby, and all they did was try and scare seniors. I was surprised that the seniors in California had little or no knowledge of the value of medical marijuana. I mean, after all, they had had it for 15 years already. So I started the Silver Tour. I figured I'm an old pitchman. If anybody can talk to seniors, I'm a senior old pitchman. And if I don't do it, nobody will. I was really sad to look around and see that there wasn't a single organization in the entire country that was doing anything to actually reach out to the people who needed to be educated. Uh, nobody was using the media, and it was something I had been doing for years with, with infomercials and working in radio and TV. And I started the Silver Tour. The idea was to begin by going to big senior communities with a clubhouse and we'd have an audience of, of 100 or 200 or even some of them were 400 and we'd put on a big show. I would bring a doctor and a nurse. I would have several local patients who were willing to get up and talk about their success with cannabis medicine. I knew the senior objections and, and I also knew this was my generation. I mean, we invented marijuana as it's known today. So, you know, all you, with seniors, sometimes it's very, very easy. All you got to do is look them in the face and say, look, in my state, at least 50% of the seniors are on Ambien or Lunesta in order to sleep. And if you've ever seen that commercial with the butterfly, <laughs> they spend the entire 60 seconds talking about the dangers you can walk, talk, eat, or drive a car in your sleep because it doesn't put you to sleep. It puts you in a fugue state. There's no REM sleep. You don't wake up if you've gone to sleep at all feeling rested. And they warn you that if uh, you're subject to depression, of course, all seniors seem to be subject to depression, that it will make it worse. And they tell you that uh, in some cases, your tongue will swell up and you'll die. You look at the seniors dead in the eye and say, look, you remember what it was like when you were back in college, how nice it felt to take a Coke or two, get a great night's sleep, have good dreams and wake up feeling good in the morning. End of story. You got them. Of course, you it know, doesn't hurt to talk about cancer and Alzheimer's and 
crawling. It's, it's tough to tell them that it's a panacea. You know, I mean, a lot of times it sounds too good to be true. And, and you know, people just don't understand, you know, the, the word adaptogen, you know. And it's important, oh. you know, having that word in, in, in our vocabulary moving forward, you know, that uh, we, have, we have things that uh, can, can kind of just work their way through their body and see what ails you. We actually don't have a hard time selling it as a panacea because if you do it right and you start with explaining very briefly that we've got an endocannabinoid system and more cannabis receptors than anything else in your body. And then a doctor gets up and talks about all the things it could be good for. You know, and if you've seen uh, my TV show, Should Grandma Smoke Pot, I've got people like Dr. Andrew Weil, I've got Bob Melamede, Dr. Melamede, and oh, what's his name from uh, San Fran, San Fran General, the head of oncology, Abrams. Thank you. Oh yeah, wife. yeah. Uh, we had Donald Abrams, and of course the the father of them all from Harvard, <coughs> uh, Lester Grinspoon. Uh, he just had a birthday recently. I know. You know the nicest thing that ever happened to me in certainly since I'm out of prison, aside from coming home to my wife, he called me. Dr. Lester Grinspoon called me. Now understand, back when I was on trial in 1979, the Coptics were on trial at the same time. And he was a witness for them. And he had just written the first book by an American physician about the benefits of cannabis. And, you know, they wanted to put him in a mental institution. They tried everything to discredit him. And his career was to some degree ruined. He never got full professorship. He stayed an associate professor. But he stuck to his guns. And today, he's a hero. But he called me up. And he said, you know, I saw the article in in the Wall Street Journal about the Silver Tour and He said, I saw you on The Daily Show. He said, you know, you're my hero. And I said, whoa, wait a minute. I said, you got that all backwards. I said, you're my hero. Wow, that's an amazing thing to hear from from a guy like, like Lester Grinspoon. And and you know in, in truth you you are a hero. You're you're helping people in the in the prime in the prime of their life and to enjoy their life to the fullest. We got to take a quick break, uh, folks. When we get back, Robert Plashhorn. We'll be right back with you, folks. Stay tuned for more State of Cannabis only on CannabisRadio.com. When we return. InternetMarketingNinjas.com is the online dojo of the highly trained and skilled Internet Marketing Ninjas. Disavow documents, reconsideration requests, panda and penguin penalties. Let our superior SEO ninjas confront all of your link-related issues. The Internet Marketing Ninjas are equipped to master any marketing exercise, content creation, authorship, link building, PPC, and more. Plus, build more buzz for your brand with our social media marketing strategy. Discover all that the Internet Marketing Ninjas can do for you. Visit the online dojo now at InternetMarketingNinjas.com. Doc Rob, the concierge for better living. Cannabis is just one of the many great plants that we have on this planet called Earth that we can use consciously and intelligently to improve our well-being. Take a real, raw, inside look at healthier living while sharing great ideas and improvements for a better quality of life. 
Learning to live and live well is a lifelong process. This is a journey. It could be you could be 80 years old or eight years old. You can still learn something that's going to make tomorrow a little bit healthier, a little bit easier, a little bit happier, a little bit better. The Concierge for Better Living with Doc Rob. Only on CannabisRadio.com. Ignite the conversation on some trending topics along the Cannabis Radio social media network. Join our crew of thousands on our Cannabis Radio page on Facebook or at Canna Radio, C-A-N-N-A Radio on Twitter. Plus, look for our Facebook and Google Plus pages for all of our original programs and connect with Dr. Dina, Kyle Cushman, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, Nurse Heather, Doc Rob, the hosts of Gondrepreneur, and more. Connect with the growing Cannabis Radio social crusade at Canna Radio on Twitter or search for Cannabis Radio on Facebook, Google Plus, and Instagram and grow with us. Chronicling the latest cannabis industry news and headlines. Welcome back to the State of Cannabis, only on CannabisRadio.com. Once again, here's Dave Inman. Welcome to the State of Cannabis. I'm your host, Dave Inman. We've been talking with Robert Plashhorn, author, activist, smuggler, and true humanitarian, and teaching the uh, the elderly the uh, the benefits of cannabis. Robert, welcome to the show. Let's let's dive back into uh, you're you're in Florida right now, and there, there's been a lot of movement. There's there's three initiatives currently pushing their weaving their way uh, up the ladder. Tell us about those. There's two Republican initiatives that will give us something akin to real medical marijuana. And there is one Democratic initiative, once again, the Kathy Jordan medical marijuana bill. Kathy, of course, is the longest living ALS patient in the country, and she uh, had been given a year to live 28 years ago. But the difference is cannabis. At present, we actually have a medical marijuana law. It's a Charlotte's Web law with little or no THC. It's not likely to help many of the kids who really need it desperately for Treves epilepsy, very severe epilepsy. And it's also not likely to ever be available. They're no closer now than they were a year ago to making the regulations, licensing growers, and they haven't had one single application from a grower who will be forced to grow 30,000 pounds but won't have 30 customers. So it really was disingenuous, just like it was in almost every other southern state that rushed to pass the Charlotte's Web bill in order to block real medical marijuana. And that's what happened in Florida as well. And uh, it, it's really a very cruel joke on the families of these children who will lose their brain capacity and die because they have 50 to 200 seizures a day. And can't survive it. And for for those uh, of you that may not know, um, you know, currently the U.S. has a patent on cannabinoids as a neuroprotectant and antioxidant. So let that ring a little bit true with with what Robert just said uh, about how you know if you have a a neuro condition and you have a substance that really there there is it's very easy to to grow and have and and can actually benefit your mind and that the government actually 
contain has a has a patent for this this medicine. Robert, how how have you been involved in any of the legislature uh, currently moving forward in Florida? Four years ago, I convinced Representative Jeff Clemens, now Senator Clemens, to put the first bill in. He was ridiculed, called a stoner, but he persisted. And, and the following year, we had more support. In the third year, we had a lot of support. And uh, I've been involved in the petition drive since it began under the name of Puffham before it became United for Care. I was out in the hot sun collecting petitions virtually as soon as I got out of prison. I've been involved in, in most of the campaigns and, and legislation passed here in Florida. But we're coming up on a very, very watershed year in 2016. We really have a chance to end the prohibition of cannabis. There are a tremendous number of states who are going to try to pass full legalization. The federal government realizes they've got to do something. But there's another group that knows this is coming, and that's the anti-marijuana people. The private prisons, big pharma, the alcohol industry, and, and even the oil industry. And, and our religious leaders. The religious leaders are kind of not very vocal right now, and we did pick up the most important group of religious leaders, and that was the black community. The black community was very staunchly anti-marijuana, the black churches. And they finally realized that it was mostly black men and black women who were being victimized by the marijuana laws and dis disadvantaged. So in the last year, year and a half, the black church establishments have, have come to support legalization and, and end the incarceration of so many black men. It, but, it's definitely indicative, you know, I mean, that what, what they see and have known really throughout, throughout their history that, uh, you know, it's been basically a stigma that they they bear more so than than any of the other colors out there you know the the blacks and and mexicans and and anybody of color seems to be uh, more 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 prone to having a, a police stop and search and find uh, you know something on them and and they go to 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 jail for for cannabis as opposed to you know white gentlemen you know, I, I wanted to uh, to also talk about. Uh, you have a couple of books. You, you uh, while in prison, you you wrote Black Tuna Diaries. You, you wrote the Black Tuna Diaries, and and that yeah. that actually turned into a documentary, uh, the Square Grouper, right? Well, it inspired the documentary. Uh, the documentary just covers the the arrests and the trial and the sensationalism and and. It does a great job of talking to everybody involved from the smugglers to the lawyers and the prosecutors. And it's a terrific movie. It was on Showtime uh, time for a year called Square Grouper. But Black Tuna Diaries is a memoir. It's not only uh, actual smuggling stories, which are not in the movie, but my years as a pitchman on the Atlantic City boardwalk, my time as a bullfighter in Spain, and, you know, I started the first speed reading schools in Europe. I had schools in England, Holland, Germany when I was 24 years old. And it's a memoir. It covers a, a lot of interesting things I did. 
when I got into the infomercial business and how I got into the pot business and, and what brought me in to begin with and how I established the first Colombian connection and brought in just about 90% of the Santa Marta gold that ever hit this country. And as you should know, the Santa Marta gold was the mother strain for not only most of the medical strains grown today, but most of the really great sativa hybrids all come out of Santa Marta gold. It was a legend. And there wasn't that much of it grown. And I brought it most of it in, me and my partners. And we brought it in by plane and we brought it in by boat. Nowhere near the three or four million pounds we were accused of. In fact, the real figure and every pound of it is in uh, the book and, and it talks about how much each plane and each boat, but it was under 100,000 pounds, not 4 million pounds. Still uh, a, a, remarkable, uh, a remarkable haul for the, uh, for the time. Yeah, and, and when you think of it in terms of today's prices, that's a, the, those are gigantic amounts. I mean, today a pound or 10 pounds represents a lot of money. Back in those days, the wholesale, somebody who'd come to us and, and buy 500 or 1,000 pounds, he paid about 350 a pound, which was higher than anything else around, but it was so much better that they'd rather pay that and, and come back to wherever they were, the universities and cities like New York and Chicago, and, and have a really great product. And to put an old lie to bed, about today's marijuana being so much stronger, Santa Marta Gold and Thai Stick and the good Hawaiians that were grown, they all tested out between 14 up to 18%. Santa Marta Gold averaged over 16%. So that's right up there with top shelf today. You know, that that's one of the big things the, uh, the no marijuana crowd tries to push that it's so much stronger today and it really isn't it's, it's just another one of their lies and, and even if even if it was even if it was stronger you know that you hit a, a certain plateau and you just kind of stop you're like well i'm good now you know it's yeah. not as if it's not as if it's like uh, you know some some cocaine that uh, you, you did some that was stepped on and then you did some that wasn't and and you know it, it was profoundly different you, you take a couple and you and you stop yeah, but that that is a little harder to sell. However, what's happening right now is all of those factors, the private prisons, big pharma, the alcohol industry are pooling their money and they've already put together millions in order to try to slow down, stop and maybe even reverse the things we've worked so hard for in the last five years. And we're not going to let them with guys like you, you know, uh, again, the, the, the elderly, they're, they're, they're the voting block. And what you're doing is just an amazing thing. I mean, that's how we corral these people from, from trying to push their agendas. We educate these people. And that's, well, that's exactly what you're doing. It's got to be done. And there's nobody else around who seems to want to do it. There's never been a national education campaign having to do with cannabis not by any organization. I've made a deal to run a thousand one-minute radio messages a week on 
all of the best news talk stations from one end of the country all the way to the other. Most of them are owned or controlled by one company. And I've got to deal with them to run a thousand national 60 second spots a week for $5,000 a week. Do you realize? And so we need to raise five they, grand, is what you're saying. We need to raise five grand a week to make sure that these ads are airing. And, and how, how are we going to get people to, to donate that money? Do you have it on your, your website? Is that uh, the silvertour.com? The silvertour.org. The silvertour.org. They'll land on the same place. Excellent. Uh, there's a new site going up next week. Uh, we're taking the old one down, and the whole thing will be devoted to this one-year radio campaign. And the messages will be the ones that will counter what the other side already has planned. Messages like, did you know, according to the National Safety Transportation Board, states with medical or legal marijuana have not seen an increase in road accidents. In fact, traffic fatalities in states like Colorado are down by 50%. Did you know, according to the DEA and ONDC, states with medical marijuana have not seen an increase in teen use. In fact, it's gone down significantly in states like Colorado. Did you know a recent study in Florida concluded that not only will cannabis delay the onset of Alzheimer's, it may actually prevent it. According to Dr. Gary Wank at Ohio State University, people who use cannabis do not get Alzheimer's at the same rate as those who don't. Those are the kind of messages. And it stops the other side dead in their tracks for what really amounts to pennies. And because we've got a full minute, we'll be able to do it like NPR does so that companies and people in our industry who will sponsor a week at a time will actually get two commercials out of every minute. Because like NPR, we'll say, this is Cannabis Facts from the Silver Tour brought to you by Magical Butter. Bring Perfect. Using to America at MagicalButter.com. And at the end, it says, we'd like to thank our supporters, Magical Butter, blah, 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 blah. So for five grand a week, they'll actually get 2,000 national name exposures, and it'll be associated with a message that they can be proud of and that will grow our industry. I definitely want to make sure that we get that uh, shared up. So anybody that, that hears about uh, the, the Silver Tour, I'll, I'll make sure and put it up on my pages and uh, share that around. Let's, let's, let's try and get some, some money in the coffers on this. Um, you know, we are at the end game, and it's our game to win or lose. And it's these types of, of uh, utilities that we have in front of us that we can use and, and really start tipping the scale. There's no reason that we should lose any more ground. All we have to do is educate and keep people moving forward. We got to keep kicking the cannabis can down the road. And uh, Robert, it's it's guys like you that are that are making a momentum. Sir, thank you for for the sacrifice that you made. I wish you hadn't made it. You know, I, I, I wish you. 
Yeah, I'm sure it was. And I I wish that, uh, you know, nobody goes to jail for a plant. And the intent of all of this is to, to, to stop that from happening anymore. Robert, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's been a, it's been a wonderful discussion. Uh, you know, uh, one other thing we didn't get to touch on uh, your new book. What is your new book called? New book is called Greed and Evil. Greed and, and Evil. It's the real backstory of where the money comes from for the anti-marijuana campaigns, where organizations like Drug Free America Foundation get their money from the three biggest opiate producers in the whole world. It's the inside story on private prisons and a big section on ALEC, the American Legislative Legislative and Economic Commission, who has been writing virtually all of our criminal statutes for the past 20 years to benefit their corporate members. And where can we get a copy of these books? Where can we buy these? Greedandevil.com, both books. Both books are also up on uh, the Silver Tour website or blacktunadiaries.com. There you get a preview of Black Tuna Diaries, which is in its seventh printing. Amazing. It's got got great reviews, and everybody says it's just one of the most enjoyable reads. Even the prison stories are not dark and depressing. A lot of funny things happen in prison, and uh, I didn't write this book to get sympathy or, or depress anyone. And it's really a very lively read. I can't wait to read them both. And, uh, you know, next time you're in Arizona, we're, we're, like I said, we'll have to get together and have that cup of coffee. You know, you've, you've been with the state of cannabis, Robert Plashhorn. We will, uh, we'll see you on the flip side, folks. Thanks for Thank coming. You for having me on. It's been a joy and a pleasure. Thank you, Robert. Thank you, Robert. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.